Welcome to the Green Element Podcast, where we meet business leaders, innovators, transforming their operations to be more environmentally and socially sustainable, and in the process, help you on your journey of sustainability. I'm your host, Will Richardson. Joining us today is John Brown, the CEO and founder of Don't Cry Wolf, a branding and communications consultancy for brands who want to communicate honestly. John is a communications and branding expert, a B Corp ambassador, and a proud dad. He believes that a total dedication to truth and transparency is one of the most powerful positions a brand can adopt. John, it's great to have you on here. Before I ask you about sustainability and the run-up to COP26, I'd like to know a bit more about you and your journey. Great, yeah. So uh, thanks very much for, for, for fab introduction. Um, so the journey has been uh, started life off um, in, in, in the industry as a, as a journalist, doing some writing um, on a heap of different sort of titles. Worked in one of those old-fashioned smoky newsrooms with cigar smoke and Benson and Hedges wafting about the place at that time. Um, and then um, found myself in, in PR and comms um, and, and basically went, went to a few fantastic agencies where I learned the trade of sort of branding, creative, um, communications. And then in 2018, founded um, Don't Cry Wolf and uh, very, very proud to say that we've gone from strength to strength um, with a sort of tremendous focus on this, this, this idea of sort of complete transparency and honesty um, at every step of the way. And that's kind of what we've, uh, it was the founding principle and it's, it's, it's seen us in good stead so far. And talking to other PR companies, you've actually got a very good reputation by your peers as well. And I think it's being held up by your peers is probably one of the best accolades you can have i mean yeah that's that's very kind of them um but you know it's just this is an industry that is it's fairly opaque still i think a lot of people have a kind of view of their of of the pr industry as being a sort of quite clandestine shady corners sort of world um and, and and you know what it's, that's that still happens right that's that still occurs like we, it, there's no there's no getting away from it whilst we've done so much to try and define what on earth PR is it is it, there is still a bit of a murky territory around there but I think with more agencies like don't cry wolf what we're trying to attempt to do is to shift the industry into a into the light a bit a bit more um go beyond just saying great words and actually putting some proof behind it um and actually trying to sort of op- operate in a way where you know wouldn't it be great where pr agencies not just didn't just have a benefit on their clients reputation but actually had a just a little bit of a benefit um on the wider world as well and i think that's kind of what we what we wanted to see whether we could actually achieve that so this is still a bit of an experiment to be honest with you can we can we do something can we grow an agency in an industry which has got a bit of a bad rep um, but grow an agency that uh, that people are actually fond of and are happy to see it do well. So what would you say your business superpower was? Just an unwavering focus on honesty. That's it. And, and I think that's, I know that sounds daft, but that is, it is so, uh, it, I think it's powerful. I think it is a superpower because if you approach everything with complete honesty total transparency you're not afraid of anything because it's warts and all it's, it's already out there Do you know what i mean it, 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 so if you have that kind of mentality if you have that approach 
you actually feel quite bulletproof. So it's why we make a point and not just reporting on the good stuff, but the bad stuff as well. So we report on what we're doing well, whether it's on our environmental footprint, diversity, how we're performing as a business. Like We'll report on all of the good stuff, but then we'll shine a spotlight on what we're not doing well, where we're missing the mark, where things need to be better. And that's actually a really empowering position to have. It feels scary to do that at first, but it's actually quite an empowering position to be in. Um, yeah, so I'd say that's a, that is a superpower. I'd agree with that, particularly in the industry that you're in. I mean, we were talking about before um, the reputation that um, your industry has. And um, I mean, I've been doing this for long enough to know that greenwashing isn't a new phenomenon. And um, sadly, one of the reasons why many of my, our clients from that we've been with since 2004, 2005, don't shout about their environmental credentials is because of greenwashing. They are scared. And that's, I've always found that a real shame because they're the ones that are actually doing something. They're the ones that we can learn from. They're the ones that we can um, take, um, you know, go, wow, okay, that's what we should be doing. But they don't want to tell anyone because they've been doing it for so long that when they started, greenwashing was a big part of a no-no. Yeah, well, I mean... um... Do you know what comms does have a role to play in this? Actually, quite a big role to play in this, being perfectly honest. So what we've done over the years is definitely jump on that greenwashing bandwagon. I think one of the best campaigns, or one of the, maybe best is not the right word, one of the clearest examples of this was you know a great big, one of the big three oil and energy companies saying, hey, don't worry about our carbon footprint. Pay much more attention to yours. You know, and the launch of this this idea that 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 somehow your own you know whether or not you use a bamboo coffee cup has more importance than whether or not we decarbonize the economy in some way, and that is that was born out of comms. That was you can you can tell that there was a comms function around that that said, do you know what? Why don't we sh- shine a light on people's own personal carbon footprint for a little while whilst we can deflect attention on ourselves? But I think somewhat, and and that is kind of a. You know, that, 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 that happened in sort of late 90s, early noughties. And now we're into a territory where actually we're armed with a little bit of information and doing what could be a lot of damage. So take net zero as, a, as an example. You, you cannot breathe right now, Will, in a PR conference without someone talking about net zero. Um, and they haven't got a clue what they're chatting about. You know, they've heard it, they've read it, they've seen it, they've seen that people are winning awards for it and then it's getting plastered on billboards somewhere and, you know, funky beer companies are talking about it um, and they want a bit of that. They haven't got a clue what that means or how to get there or what the sort of path towards net zero even remotely looks like. And this is evidence for how the comms industry has to level up its knowledge because they've taken a little bit of information and they're really trying to get mileage out of it rather than delve deep into the issue and say, well, actually, should we be talking about net zero or should we be talking about science-based targets or should we talk, be sort of at least educating the wider world as what a scope one, scope two, scope three emission looks like? No, no, no. We're just going to say net zero over and over again, plaster it across all of our copy um, until people get bored of it. And you can see the amount of organizations that have, through their comms channels, through creative campaigns, highlighted, um, you know, something to do with net zero, 
versus the amount of organizations that are actually reporting on their footprint. And you can see that there's a big disparity. So many businesses are prepared to make the claim. I think uh, uh, there, there was a report somewhere that, and I, that, that, that highlighted just how few are prepared to actually report on it. Do you think education will help? I mean, obviously it will help, but do you think they're willing to be educated? I think it, I think they are. Do you know what? It's, it, I'm, so I've, I've kind of given them a bit of a slap around the face, my, my, my industry peers, and now I'll, I'll sort of <laughs> def- defend them as well at the same time. They are willing as long as they are being given the time. And I think this is what's important. You have to be brave enough to turn around to, you know, a a, a pretty could, could be a pretty aggressive board or fast paced CMO or CEO and say, hold your horses, mate. We're not going to run a campaign on, you know, this one thread of sustainability that you think your organization has. First, let's take a little little moment. Let's take a pause in time to retrospectively, you know, reflect on where we are as an organization whether we could be doing better to understand these issues in a deeper way before we start blurting it out there in the wider world and i think what prs and the comms industry is faced with a lot of the time is how do you balance up this immense pressure from clients or from organizations or from boards to you know be the first be out there be part of the headlines get that coverage that everyone's talking about versus like, do we actually genuinely understand the the, the issue that we're actually talking about? Uh, and I think this is where the bravery piece has to come through. So I think they, there is an appetite to learn more, but they but right now the industry needs to be brave enough to say, look, we're not putting out another campaign, another you know greenwashing campaign or a sort of eco-consumer campaign until we understand this a little bit more, until we can talk a little bit more authoritatively, until we actually come and have a chat you know, with people like Green Element to actually work out what it is we should be knowing and understanding within this space. And how do you think we can do that? Dutch courage. I don't know. Have two glasses of whiskey before you go into a board meeting. Um, I think you've got to be able to provide examples, case studies of where people have taken the time and still and actually ended up getting it far more right than some of the, the, the competitor organisations. And this is where the celebrating the unsexy wins i think is deeply important here because you know we can all go and sort of cheer and clap for you know a billboard that says fuck you co2 right and everyone's jumping up and down with joy for for, for that and that's cool i understand that that's sort of that's the sort of sexy part of this world but actually there's so much happening in other industries, in other organisations that might not have that sort of that sex appeal, uh, that that kind of shiny factor, but is deeply important, is actually rooted in some real science and understanding and courage as well, and it just doesn't have a light shone on it yet. And actually, I think there needs to be more celebration of unsexy case studies, <laughs> stuff that is so. F- fundamentally important but and, and and a real celebration of everything that we we love about the, the the progress that we're making from from technology through to you know switch looking at jobs through to decarbonizing really really kind of intensive industries but it doesn't get the attention it deserves because bamboo coffee cups and 
you know, carbon neutral beer and more sexy for headlines. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. Um, it's very clear from you that you have a real passion for transparency, authenticity and telling the truth. Can you tell us how this passion came to be and where where does it come from? I think there's a bit of journalistic roots there of being quite sort of keen on finding out the truth and having honest conversations. I think that's kind of, that's you know, that's come through through my sort of early part of my career. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I think I've just, maybe I'm just a cynical git. And and so sort of, you know, spend a lot of my time just going, is that, are we being really true to ourselves? Are we being genuinely authentic to ourselves? I think that there's, I also have the luxury of, you know, being fairly apolitical, I suppose, in some sense. So I think a lot of the discussion that you see within the industry or, you know, within my industry as well, you know, there's, it always feels as though it's tinged with some form of kind of political allegiance or alliance and stuff like that. I've always, absolutely. And I've always been, I've always been fairly careful to, I suppose, give both sides a lot of shit. (laughs) Is that the best way of describing it? You know, like, and, and I think that's, and I've always been like that. I've always had that kind of, look, I'm not really interested in whose side I need to be on here as long as I'm on the side of whatever's honest, true, and provable. I bet so, you're yeah. a good journalist. We need more more journalists like that now. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, 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 uh, well, I didn't make it as a journalist, so perhaps I wasn't. <laughs> we didn't conform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that may be it. That may be it. <laughs> In your opinion, have you found that organisations mislead their customers willingly, or is it more often the case that organisations promote something they don't understand which is ultimately misleading, or have they perhaps been misled by suppliers? Oh, what a great question. A third of each. <laughs> because I think there's organisations that have that are knowingly misleading the public and doing so whilst earning a huge amount of money. I think Boohoo is probably <laughs> my clear example of that and I've, I've been on a warpath for them for a while because I think they, are, they they know things are wrong they know things are bad they know that what they're doing is completely unsustainable they're washing it with by by joining lots of different sort of partner alliances and things like that and I think it's complete nonsense but also they're being guided by consumer pounds so you know there's a societal issue there to fix I think on the on the, on the other two there's there are occasions where it's just naivety absolutely and that you see campaigns where you think that's just a sort of an absurdly naive perspective to have. And I don't actually think there's there should be an excuse for that now. If you, you can sit there of an evening, I know, it sounds, I know it sounds ridiculous, but you can sit there of an evening and delve into the climate crisis and the positives and the negatives and get really to grips with even just sort of some of the terminology. Um, and you'll have informed yourself a bit more than what I think some of these campaigns and some of these organisations have exhibited over the past sort of couple of years, you know, and and so there's really isn't an excuse to be, you know, making big bold claims around the sustainability of a t-shirt when in actual fact you've kind of ignored like for example an entire supply chain on the on on, on the way there, but because you've used one type of cotton versus another, it's suddenly become an eco t-shirt. You know, and and there's so many examples of this. You know, 
like it, my, my, my team tell me how often I bang on about bamboo coffee cups. You know, they are not going to save the world. And, and yet we still see, you know, every, every month another com- campaign where it's, it's backed by some very, very flimsy claim around a particular product being ever so slightly more sustainable than it was before. Go and buy it. Go and purchase it. When in actual fact, the message should be, you know, you, you probably don't really need this. You probably don't need the eighth bamboo coffee cup that you've got in your in in, in your kitchen, um, and then yeah, the, you know the final part is absolutely around um, suppliers like like comms people, like you know consultants and all sorts who have piggybacked the the, the rise in in ESG discussions and um, are earning a living out of it. You know, as I mentioned at the start, misinformation and mis representation of sustainability claims is particularly important to tackle climate change. Have you noticed an increase of sustainability misinformation, particularly with the run-up to COP26? I've, do you know what? I've noticed a, a dangerous version of it, which is pseudo-misinformation. I, I don't know. It's misinformation that has been wrapped up to look like intelligence or evidence. I've seen more superficial carbon footprinting taking place and reporting taking place where it's been you know i measured we're we're and i've genuinely seen this you know organizations making enormous claims about their carbon footprint because uh they switched to a different energy supplier you know and that was it that's where it stopped that's where the measurement stopped how much electricity how much heating how much water and that was it there was nothing beyond that didn't look at the supply chain, didn't look at anything else. Um, and I'm seeing more and more of these claims sort of start to start to crop up. And, and I think there's people earning a lot of money off of that as well. You know, um, worryingly, seeing a lot more people rebrand themselves as ESG experts and consultants. I've seen even, to be honest with you, even in the, you know, even in the world of B Corp, you know, there's, been a whole you, you you know previously you didn't really would be the closest B Corp ambassador I knew we lived in Cornwall and I live in London. Uh, now I think there's you know they're they're around every corner, and 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 whilst I think that's that's great for the movement, there's that you've got to you not you know you've got to you've got to scrutinise how where where their expertise is coming from. But then some would say that that's probably not a bad thing because you've got. Those same people started somewhere. I mean, I, I started somewhere. I mean, you should see the carbon footprints that I did back in 2003, 2004. They're horrendous, absolutely horrendous. Um, but I was learning. But equally, not many people really knew what to do anyway or how to do it. So therefore, and I remember, and I'm not allowed to use the word offset, but I'm using it in a right, the right sense where I had an organisation that bought, large organisation that bought a lot of renewables um, because they switched from normal fossil fuel to renewables and they we worked out a very crude way of them being carbon neutral before carbon neutral was yeah. I'm absolutely appalled that I was doing that yeah but then it's very honest of you you know well at the end of the day it was quite early on and we didn't really know what we were doing but the fact that they switched to renewables at that point was actually pretty impressive yeah anyway. yeah so that I mean that that's what I would take away from that, but therefore people do learn and they. But it's quick; it's easier to learn now. 
I mean, I kite surf. Yeah. You could say the same thing. It's quicker to learn to kite surf now than it was back in 2000 when but, I was learning. But so, also, Will, you know, the channels for you to, ha- to, to communicate misinformation now are so vast, varied and broad that there has to be an increased responsibility from organisations and communicators and consultants to actually genuinely, very, very genuinely check their facts, figures, stats, information, because the accessibility that that comms has now, the, the, the size of the audience that they can approach and that they can discuss and that they can have these conversations with is so vast that you have to take a, a stronger responsibility. You know, we've seen an exponential rise in people who are able to have, you know, a platform, whereas, you know, you might have been able to say something that wasn't quite right to maybe 10 people, 20 people you know, down the pub, how, how, however many decades ago. Now you're talking about a platform that, you know, you can, you, can, you can spread that across millions. And if it's packaged up beautifully in a nice video and what have you, it will be shared and it will be engaged with. So you have to have a more, more, you have to be more responsible these days. You know, so yes, it's access to knowledge is critical, but you have to be more responsible to check yourself as well because of the platforms that people have with which to communicate. How great a threat do you think misinformation is to climate change? It's huge. I think it's huge because I think those that are interested in keeping things under wraps can do so quite well through the spread of misinformation and and I think greenwashing now has turned into eco-consumerism, which I think is a wonderful little wrapper for people just to buy more stuff, but feel a touch like five percent better about it. And it's and it's and, and as I said previously, it's much easier to go and buy a T-shirt that has got an eco label on it than it is to really get to grips with the issues and the fundamentals behind what we are facing. And I think that is where the greatest threat around misinformation is is, is occurring. Where it's it's just easier to wrap things up into a lovely, lovely package and put a bow on it and not have any substance behind it. It's easier than ever before to do that. And I think that is going to lead to complete apathy. Or on the flip side to that, on on the sort of the climate alarmism side of side of things, because I think this happens on both sides of the fence. It's going to lead to such paralyzing fear to engage in the debate that you're going to miss some real, real strong success stories. And I think that's as equally as detrimental to solving this or to having a chance at solving what we face is that the, those that are doing an extraordinary job are terrified of entering into the discussion because they're sat there thinking, Oh, Christ, well, how am I going to compete with X, Y, and Z with marketing budgets of millions and millions talking about all of this stuff, which I know to be complete bollocks, but I can't talk about my bit here, which is absolutely fundamental to solving the crisis, but I can't talk about it because it's going to be either drowned out or they've got the audience so riled up that you know their way is the only way. No one's going to be paying any attention to me. And I think that's equally as detrimental. So, you know, whereas greenwashing however many decades ago was very much kind of focused on covering up now it's a, it seems very much more focused on 
being given a sort of air of transparency, but with very little evidence behind it. I think that's actually even more worrying. It's, it's harder it's, it's, to decipher. To the, it's harder to, to decipher. It's person. really clandestine, mm. and it's and it's quite sinister in practice. Mm. Have you spent much time on? Um, you're probably going to say no. You're going to look at me really weirdly. Advertising standards um, authority website. I've, I, 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 only very recently, I was on there checking the um, <laughs> checking what the boundaries are for putting a political billboard up, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Because it's quite, it's if you type up climate, they've got a really good search function, and you can type up climate change or um, net zero or whatever, and you can find out what companies have have actually swayed, and you know, veered into the oh, they shouldn't be saying this. And I, I spent some time on it the other night, and it was actually quite, it was quite interesting. But it talks about, and I think they are becoming more savvy than they ever used to. They are starting to wake up to what you're talking about. And I think this is, so this is where the uh, my industry, the PR and comms industry, really, really needs to ensure that we get to grips with this. So we do have, um, you know, there is a code of conduct. There is one with the PRCA, the, 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 you know, the, one, the, the largest um, PR trade body. Um, that code of conduct does not go into any form of real genuine detail as to how you should be communicating within the climate crisis. And I think that omission is dangerous because we see ourselves very grandly as consultants that advise at the very highest level as to how you should communicate in as, organ- as an organisation. And, you know, research that we've recently conducted um, were alongside the PRCA uh, you know, showcase that about, I think there's been about a 70% increase in PR and comms professionals being asked to consult on discussions and topics to do with the climate crisis. Now, if we don't have a code of conduct around well, what's legitimate, what's genuine, why you should be informed around this first, um, then, and we're being asked our opinion, and that's being then taken into the, the, the into practice, I think that's a fairly nervous position to be in yeah yeah i'd agree now your business is a certified b corp we are can you tell our listeners a bit about the steps don't cry wolf has made to make itself more sustainable yes um well first and foremost we started from the position of how bad are we (laughs) and i know it's a cliche but you know until you understand the problem you can't really put any steps in place so, which is why we work with you, Will, because the first, and I think that was the first open conversation you and I had, which was, I'm about to write all of these fantastic policies and procedures and practices in place, and I haven't got a clue whether it's going to have any impact. Um, so the first thing that we we wanted to try and do was to to understand genuinely where, where our biggest impact was, was being had. Where that pushed us was fascinating. So as an agency, as a PR agency, we have a fairly small footprint you know we're not nece- we're not producing anything you know certainly our scope 1 and 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 scope 2 emissions are fairly fairly low however we have a huge footprint in things that you just would not even really consider so procurement of technology you know in our industry everyone loves you know everyone's wandering around with a macbook or a, or an ipad or you know, the, the, you know, a phone because we're all communicators and we're on the move, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But actually that has a real impact. 
so we've put in place practices and policies right now so that we're able to that we everything that we procure on the tech front um, is from refurbished sources so that we're reducing that foot our footprint that way another area was we you know typical ab fab pr person right we spend a lot of time of doing events or at lunches or you know hosting a, a, a dinner or something along those lines um and actually what we discovered was that's having a real detrimental impact on our on our carbon footprint in terms of you know where we are eating out um so we put in place a vegan vegetarian policy that if you were going to eat out on the company dime or, or the com- at, the, at the company's expense, you had to choose somewhere that was more sustainable. You had to choose a vegan vegetarian meal. And it, and it, and it sounds trivial, but it's actually, you know, it, we saw that correlation. So we put in place that practice and we put in place that policy. You know, another thing that we've done is release guidance around home working and remote working. So not, not just to say that right, this is the this is the equipment that we're going to furnish you with, and we're going to make sure that you know if you do need a new chair or a new this or a new that, that it comes from a reused source. But actually, you know, this is what we would love you to follow as a guideline or as a policy for working at home. You know, this is how you recycle when you're working at home. This is our policy around printing documents. You know, you shouldn't be. We've provided you with software to be able to do whatever you need to do over a computer. You know. This is uh, these are the energy suppliers that we would recommend you investigate. And now we're looking into how do we provide some form of um, financial support so that people who do want to make sure that they have switched to a renewable energy provider, like um, in in their home for home working, can do so without it really impacting their own wallets. And it's been really really practical practical because we've been able to pinpoint exactly where we're having the worst impact, if that makes sense. Mm. When it comes to running an ethical and sustainable business, what would you say has been your biggest struggle so far? And how do you think, yeah, could you tell us a bit about how you've come up, overcome it? I don't think I have overcome it because I think it's how you grow sustainably. That, that's, the biggest, that's the biggest struggle and that's going to be a continuous struggle because actually the most, most sustainable thing I could do would be to not take on loads more clients not take on lots more team members buy lots more load more stuff you know because as we grow our our footprint increases right and that's a that's a real challenge to for and you have to wrestle with that i mean you know and and i think as an organization what we try and do and the constant challenge that we are faced with is how do we grow but how do we grow sustainably so if we are looking at next year's revenues and growth trajectory, what are we going to do now that is going to allow us to reduce the impact that we have? Where can we invest more in an area that we know is going to make a real difference in preparation for what we hope will be you know, another year of significant growth? Mm-hmm. And, that, and that is a continuous struggle and continuous challenge. And I think this is where I get really pissed off with some of the people that I've, I speak to who run organizations, agencies, and what have you. It's like, well, we, you know, we implemented a plastic free policy a year ago. Okay. That's fabulous. But is that it? That's it. That was it. That was your answer. <laughs> like, you know, it can't, it, it's great. And I can't, and I'm not, I'm trying, I'm not trying to belittle it or diminish that work, but that can't be the full stop. Hmm. You know, yeah. you're an organization 
that is going to be grow- you're, you're like organizations are living breathing entities in their own right if you like they grow they expand they they consume more they you know you have to take that into consideration so i think that's one of the frustrations that i have which is that there's there is no end point to addressing this and challenging yourself and reflecting on what else you could be doing because if you are a ambitious entrepreneur or business leader which i am you want to grow you want to increase you want you want to be able to sort of be the best in the field um and you have to balance that out with a, a sustainable ethical philosophy which i think you can personally. you can but it's hard right it's mm. hard it's tough yeah but i think that that's the reason why you're almost better placed to do it because you're thinking about it and so therefore we'll learn you'll learn from your mistakes and others will learn from you and that what you're putting into practice will you know in five years time will be like why do you do that why didn't he do this this and this but yes. it'll be better and we're continually bettering ourselves but um you need to have people in employment surely it'd be better to work for a, a more sustainable more ethical organization than one that isn't uh, well absolutely well i hope so absolutely hope so <laughs> and i've made i've made tremendous cock-ups over the past you know i i was and th- and this is why i'm perhaps almost a, even kind of less sympathetic these days I was talking about, well, we're going to become carbon neutral back in sort of when I first started the business. I will be carbon neutral within months, right? Not knowing what on earth I was actually genuinely banging on about. But like we had that discussion years ago. Why Why is it coming to fall? Like, why is it still there now? So we've made some errors. We've made some mistakes. We've made big claims that we then thought, actually, no, we, we that that isn't right, which we then had to transparently communicate to the wider world and say, no, this is what we're doing and this is why and this is why it's more important. Um, and I think this is what I would say to anyone who's considering sort of, you know, really investigating and looking at this. You are going to make an enormous number of errors. If you transparently communicate that journey, warts and all, people will love you for it, firstly, but they will learn from you. And and you can be fearless. Then you can make you can make mistakes. You can make big decisions. You can move into different directions and know that if it if you do mess up, report on it, provide insight to it, provide what you've learned, and you'll have enriched everyone else. No, absolutely. Finally, I'm also interested to hear about your outdoor pursuits. Oh, right. And I've read that you're working towards gaining some mountain leader certifications. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, that is going terribly well. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I have a sort of a bit of a love of, 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 of well, not a bit of a love, a huge love of the outdoors, and um, I, I would love to continue to follow my passion of becoming an actually accredited, certified mountain leader. I've done a couple of courses so far, which have gone well, but I need to get more mileage under my feet and haul my 17 and a half frame, stone frame up and down a few more mountains to complete my logbook. But on top of that, I'm into my bushcraft and dressing up a bit like Ray Mears and going into the forest and pretending to know, pretending to myself that I could survive where I really couldn't. Um, you should have listened to our podcast with Nick Hollis, who spoke about the 71 challenge a few weeks ago. He has okay. some really interesting stories about climbing mountains and protecting rainforests. Oh, fabulous. I will. I'll definitely give that a listen. Thank you so much for being on the show today, 
John. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you. Really, really enjoyed it. And thanks for listening to the Sustainable Business Podcast. If you want to learn more about sustainable business and talk to other like-minded professionals, why not join our online community at sustainabilitysolved.org. Join now and find a space to collaborate, learn and inspire others to become more environmental. And if you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you get every episode. And don't forget to follow Green Element on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram.